welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. Welcome to Series 8 of Helpful Social Work. I'm Jo. And I'm Jerry. And in Series 8, we're looking at sustainable social work. And what we mean by that is how social workers kind of look after ourselves and how we can thrive. And we're drawing on evidence of the things that help social workers, uh, including the Working Conditions Toolkit from the British Association of Social Workers. So in our first podcast, we gave an overview of the areas that are important. And then we talked about empowering ourselves. Uh, last month, we also had a podcast in German, which hopefully some people found interesting. Um, I just love the fact that you can do that, Jerry. She's an amazing person, guys. Just like to say that to you. I might edit that bit out. I might oh. not. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're keen to keep doing podcasts with guests. So we had a podcast with Paul Bridgewater. Um, so if you're a social worker who wants to talk about what help, helpful social work means for you, just get in touch with us and you can reach us through our website, which is www.helpfulsocialwork.com. We started this uh, series nominally in April, but actually we've been putting podcasts out since May. So a little bit behind, um, but it kind of seems appropriate not to be thinking about you know, deadlines and putting ourselves under stress, given we're talking about you know, sustaining ourselves and being um being careful of each other and you know um, yeah, and kindness, despite all of that kind, yeah, yeah we've got 161,000 downloads now people um, are amazing thank oh. you for listening to us guys it's also so nice. joe this is so exciting our first episode to get 4,000 downloads has just happened um and that was on critical reflection and analysis series five podcast 6a as it happens but yeah we, we did the series on professional yeah. um the, the standards, yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. Over 4,000 downloads of that particular episode. So clearly that's something that people are really interested in, which is great. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you, guys. We all we do appreciate um, the space to talk to people and think with people. It's it's really, it's an amazing thing. And um, we were talking last time in our last podcast about empowerment, you know, and how social work was all about empowerment and how we need to be empowered in order to do it well. Um, and this time we're going to be talking about how we access continual professional development, which for me, you know, the links between empowerment and continuous professional development really strong in my mind. Um, and as usual, we always like to start with a few definitions, which I really like. Um, so continual, it's something that happens again or again or is steady. And it comes from the Latin word that means to hold together. And if you think about how complex our field is and all of the knowledge that we need and how the field keeps developing and how, you know, society keeps changing and social work is a profession that needs to be always, you know, changing and moving into new areas. It feels really appropriate to me that that whole idea of that continuous learning and profession, professional, well, it, you know, profession is something we speak about, we identify as part of a profession and development is the act or process of growing or progressing. And you know something, it actually comes from the word to wrap. I find like that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, develop, yeah, yeah. To, to yeah, wrap around. So we're talking about something that's steady, that holds us together and that wraps around us. When you were just talking about change there, that reminded me of something I read recently. And it's a one of those rules of thumb law type things where, um, which is about learning, it says that, 
the amount of learning that you do or that an organization does has to be greater than or equal to the amount of change that's happening outside in order for that personal organization to continue to be relevant and helpful. Wow. Yeah. When you think about the amount of change that actual that our actual, you know, think about Adult the Care Act and think about mental health and think about um, children's with the big review and that and all the learning that we're doing constantly, as well as all the structural change and the societal change. I mean, that really says that continuous learning for us is is front and centre of thriving. Yeah. And it doesn't mean discarding stuff. It means adapting as mm. change happens, I think, because one mm. of the things we need to be careful of is the idea that, you know, new is best. Um, yeah. No, yeah. continuous learning doesn't mean that at all. And I think um, one of the things that's interested me as I've learned is sometimes my something I learn now illuminates something I knew mm. and it brings a richer level of meaning to it and I'll be like oh that's what that thing meant that I didn't quite grasp and now this puts it into context so sometimes it can really strengthen um, practice or knowledge you already have. Yeah because old isn't best either it's just about no. synthesizing those most useful relevant helpful kind of sound things yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are formal expectations for social workers in the professional capabilities framework, which is our framework for social work in England, uh, it's got a whole domain around professionalism, which is uh, set out as we demonstrate professional commitment by taking responsibility for our conduct, practice, self-care and development. So in that sense, development is wrapped up in growth, all round growth. And it's about not learning for learning's sake, but this commitment to being good social workers essentially and part of our code of ethics is taking responsibility for our own practice and continuing professional development and obviously as we as we said last time as we talk through in this series that taking responsibility is um, about the thing that we have to do there are other responsibilities around us as well so yes we don't have sole responsibility but we do have responsibility so in the UK, as in many countries, social work's regulated. So to be able to call yourself a social worker, you need to um, meet the requirements of the regulator. And generally, those requirements include doing professional development and showing that you've done it as well. Uh, it's not just uh, talking the talk, but walking the walk, you know, actually um, being able to demonstrate it. So in England, uh, we're both registered in England. Social Work England, our regulator, asks us to show that we've mm. done learning, but particularly that we've reflected on how that learning impacts on the people we work with. So there's uh, a kind of reflection on the, the the way, the pathway from what we've taken on board to what that actually looks like in practice. Uh, so yes, there's a formal expectation that that's really just a tiny little part of it, isn't it? You know, it's, it's much more for me about our identity as social workers and what we're trying, you know, our purpose, what we're actually trying to achieve. Mm. You know, we talked about social work being there for the empowerment and liberation of people. Um, that's that's something that you really need to have your wits about you to, to be trying to do. Um, and it's about that sort of discernment as well, really. You know, what learning is trustworthy. Um, yes. So not just drawing on 
sound research, um, but also you know, proven practice experience and crucially that learning from lived experience, mm. which actually it's not in our notes, but just recently the British Journal of Social Work has done a whole edition, open access whole edition um, of writing by people with lived experience, experts by experience. So I really recommend that. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And it's some, um, and you just as you were talking, I was thinking, thinking away, and I was reflecting on the fact that I really like doing reflective writing. I always have. I liked it when I first started studying. But you know how we we do our um our piece of education, and then we say, you know, well, this is what we learned. This is the sense we made of it. This is how we think we can apply it or this is how we have applied it and this is the difference we understand it's made I, I really like when you do that whole journey yeah. of of learning because it kind of um that that's when it does become trustworthy because you can see it applied um and you can think about the consequences of it and that's that to me is just um a fantastic approach oh just another concept that i came across recently because i was reading about learning is actually some work that neil thompson's done uh, it talks about how you know whether someone's learnt is you see the footsteps of their learning. So in the same way as you would see the Invisible Man by footsteps in the mm. kind of H.D. Wells story, yeah. I think. Um, if you want to know if you or someone else has learned, you look for the footsteps. Yeah, I love Neil Thompson's work. I think he's got some fantastic concepts he puts out there. I, I would like to have a look at that, actually, Jerry. I haven't seen that yet. Um, and that's right, because for me, I was thinking about, um, you know, what makes um, continuous professional learning powerful uh, and also kind of a joy, you know, joyous. Um, and I was wanting to talk about the feelings that I get in events that are powerful and joyous and some of the kind of common features that I find I was thinking about because I've been really lucky I've had a lot of really fabulous learning encounters um, over my career and I think some of the things that I see is the first thing that comes to mind is the word invested like the people who are speaking or facilitating or teaching they're really invested in what they're talking and thinking about and that really transmits to the people who uh, attending the event and that they're interested in being there, that they're interested in listening and thinking, sharing and challenging. So they're not passive recipients. They're actually challenging, reflecting. They're, they're, um, they're making a community of knowledge as they share with each other. And that leads to my next thought that I always have, um, generosity that people are generous with their energy, their time, their knowledge, their curiosity. And so there's a real collective responsibility to each other's learning. And, you know, they're there having that commitment, um, which makes them connected. So everyone's making connections between what they're learning and what they do each day. And they're talking about those connections in a reflective way. And the people are sharing and connecting with each other, building links, really affirming each other's knowledge base. Um, and you can see people going, oh, actually, I didn't realise I knew all that. But now that I've said it and I'm exploring it, I can see what I have. For me, learning should be helpful. It needs to offer something tangible. That's that's for myself. I just I need to walk away thinking, OK, I can do or think about this in a way that will help me make a difference to the way I approach my work 
or the way someone else experiences me. So I really want helpfulness there. Um, and then two last things, hopeful. For me, the learning leaves me with a sense of awe and wonder at the depth and power of my profession. I love social work and social work knowledge. And I just like when you when you get to good learning, you, you walk away inspired because you just think, wow, this is the way we can relate to and understand and and help each other and support each other as a as a individually but also as a society there's so much potential in humanity that's what I always walk away thinking and then the last thing is that it's actually challenging the learning mm. it's not just a nice refresher and a confirmation of all the things I already know but it's a genuine challenge to my way of thinking you know it disrupts the status quo in my knowledge base and it ask me to stretch my professional understanding it might you know um, make me realize that I've got a value that's not sitting properly in terms of my actions or that I might have some faulty thinking um, and you know my conversation with others at the event is spirited challenging respectful but it just leaves me thinking 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 you know really gives me a shake-up one of the things I was thinking about for this podcast was that learning really good learning takes you out of your comfort zone and actually you've just made me think that there is some learning that takes you um kind of into a painful zone um mm. and I think that's something that we have to be really careful about that there's and I don't I mean that might be because of something that resonates but it might also be because the way that the learning is offered up um or the way that the interactions happen is actually not respectful or not um you know, not appropriate. So, because um, you've said, you know, that the um, there's this collective responsibility, generosity, investment. I mean, sometimes mm. people go to learning that doesn't treat them well, I suppose. So, yeah. yeah. And in those cases, um, it's really helpful to have people to collectively challenge that um, mm. or to raise the question about that. Um, but the the aspect that I wanted to talk about is about coming out of your comfort zone um, in a way that is is sustainable, that doesn't undermine your sense of self or anything like that, but does really stretch you and challenge you. Mm. Um, and that, you know, sometimes that might even involve realising that something that you had as a kind of piece of your scaffolding that you thought was sort of firm ground actually is not reliable or isn't something that you can um, you can draw on. And that you need to change uh, your situated knowledge. So you're, the knowledge that you've gained from the person that you happen to be in, the place that you happen to be in, because of someone else's situated knowledge that gives you a completely different viewpoint or um, really challenges um, the, the viewpoint that you had. So I've been involved in a change project on intersectionality with research and practice. And I've been working with two facilitators, Sarai Nayak and Clinton Farkerson, and they've they're both absolutely brilliant, infinitely more knowledgeable than me, um, both in terms of the theory and the research and the lived experience and practice experience. And a lot of the things that have come through in that project have been really uncomfortable and really challenging, but also quite liberating, which actually brings me back to the idea of the empowerment and liberation of people, because being a social worker mm. can be empowering and liberating of yourself, can't it? Uh, mm. But that, um, the reason that that's been a sustainable thing for me to be involved in um, even though it's been really uncomfortable at times is because the 
facilitators and the approach has been really respectful mm. um, and we've worked to these particular set of values through the whole project and that's been around co-production values of uh, recognizing everyone's value and um, opportunity to offer and also having a reciprocal approach so that people offer things up and other people um, yeah, everyone sort of shares and offers things. Everyone has something to, to bring, um, but also some principles that have come across in anti-racist work about adopting a learner mindset and starting with this idea that everyone has something to learn and everyone can learn. So mm. where there's difficulties around, you know, for example, if I bring a, a kind of ignorant viewpoint or a um, viewpoint that doesn't reflect people's lived experience because of the where my knowledge is situated that people would take that as um, an opportunity for me to learn rather than mm. as a um, as a fixed view that is not not you know, so it would be challenged but it wouldn't be about you'd be looking at the person as and yourself as someone who can who can learn and I think that also enables people to say things um, and talk about what they're actually reflecting um in in a sort of spirit of curiosity and humility that allows you then to to learn and other people to offer something to you so it's, yeah. it's really good but they, those principles are so important aren't they because social work we're so often in not just out of our own comfort zone but in the uncomfortable zone of society you know mm. things that people mm. don't tend to want to think about or um the things that are really difficult and maybe quite um you know, where there's controversy or maybe there's conflict, you know, um, if we want to walk in those areas or, or be in those areas, we, we really need um, principles to guide us and people to, to be with. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, Jerry. you've just got me thinking away there. Um, first of all, I was really struck by what you said about creating safety in the learning environment. I just think that's absolutely fundamental. Um, you don't want people to go away from any learning feeling humiliated or belittled or um, less sure than they were in terms of not feeling competent. You don't want people, you don't want learning to bring um, and leave people with feelings of incompetence. Mm. Um, you want people to be able to shift and to be able to change viewpoints and to be able to have insight. But, you know, you. the thing is, if you if you kind of are rigid in how you present knowledge, then that, that you set up this kind of stall that says there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. Mm. And the thing with social work is that's just not true. It's, it's, not a, it's not a place where there are absolute guidebook answers. As you say, there's a set of guiding principles and ethics that you view everything through and then you have the encounter and in the encounter you move towards sense together mm -hmm. and and it and learning good learning should frame be framed exactly in the same way which is what you've described you know you set out a series of principles that are about respect and care and then inside that envelope you allow people to expose the edges of themselves in safety um, and feel that they can um, and you give them permission. And, and that, that's something because I'm a definite person, you know, I'm not I'm not a person that 
that is confused about myself. I sometimes think I should be more confused about myself. In fact, I'm at my best, I think, when I when I kind of get off my my certainty horse and onto my confused horse. But one of the things I've had to learn is to be curious about why someone else would have another point of view rather than think they're wrong. Does that make sense? Like, so if someone says something that really moves against my values, instead of just wanting to give them the evidence about why that couldn't possibly be right, I'm now more curious about where they're thinking, why they're thinking that, what they're hoping to get from it. How did they get that? How did they get to that space? Because you weren't born with that innate set of values and knowledge, were you? No, you must have not. worked through some of this stuff yourself. So, yeah. yeah, I was, you know, by the time I was five, I had it all nailed, Jerry. And I was like, you know. But I think, you know, the truth is that as I have got older, I have definitely got, I have less knowledge and more wisdom, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So you when see I was, more of the, those fuzzy edges, don't you? Yeah, and I'm and I'm okay to be in that land. And to be in it for myself and for others. When I was young, like a friend of mine once said to me, and I'm absolutely, she was so spot on. I said something when I was in my 20s. I said, oh, I don't know that I've got an opinion on that. And my friend, she just laughed and she went, Joe, you have an opinion on the way grass grows. And and I think that was right, you know, like mm-hmm. I just had an opinion on everything. Um, but you also I, do a lot of work on those things you know what I mean like if you if I was going along to to this change project on intersectionality I've been really you know so fortunate in the facilitators I'm working with because of their breadth of knowledge and their depth of knowledge Um, and there is rightly an expectation that I do work myself you know that I don't come along going fill me you know (laughs) I actually have yeah yeah. and that's and that's completely right because we all got that individual responsibility as well as that collective opportunity which is amazing yeah and we're talking what what we're talking about here really then is 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 growth through continuous professional development and you know for me that's about how do we take the learning and what do we do with it um you know so that if it's a realization that it's about our own working model or internal world, which we've just been talking about, that we actually use that to adjust or strengthen our inner framework, values or perspectives, so that we're comfortable with that kind of, um, you know, internal movement as well. You know, social work ethics are like this for me. And you, you know that over time I've kind of developed this three-gate approach to viewing all my actions. And um, I've just been... Uh, with a friend of mine who's very ill and honestly I was using ethics every single day in all my encounters you know am I being humane am I being just am I acting with integrity you know am I having encounters with grieving people and with professionals and with worried people in in a way that is helpful so I think the lovely thing about continuous professional development and the field we're in is it can serve our whole life Mm. It can serve every part of our life, you know, um, and it's also about how we approach or go about our task, you know, so we can develop a strategy which includes us using the new approach. Um, And for me, actually, interesting, you've talked about intersectionality because that's been quite profound for me learning about that. And I'm really looking forward to the change project work that will come out of 
the stuff you're doing and the social graces model. I really try to run them through my head, run those frameworks through my head as I'm approaching anything that I'm doing. Um, and so the last thing for me, you know, so you've got your kind of internal world, you've got your approach in your work and then your skill or technique. You know, if it's a skill or technique that we've learned, we should practice it and really look for places and spaces to use it in our delivery. Mm. So for me, the attachment regulation and competency model is something that, you know, um, really resonates with me or secure base model by Schofield and Beek. They're kind of foundation sets of theory, theory turned into practice that I really like to use all the time. Um, and there's some others. The discrepancy matrix helps challenge my thinking. Mm. The decision tree, which... Uh, because it uses numbers, I find it really cognitively hard, which is good because it disrupts my thinking and I'm not just patterning, I'm having to really work hard. And I think mm -hmm. learning that helps you work hard intellectually can be really super useful. Yeah. Yeah, and I just want to come back to that um, idea of shared responsibility because the uh, Basworth British Association of Social Workers Working Conditions Toolkit has a section on professional development and um, in that it talks about this shared responsibility. So it says that it's a professional expectation that social workers will follow this um, capabilities and ethics approach of learning it, it as a demonstration and um, way of showing their professional commitment. Um, but the toolkit also says that the research around working conditions suggests that there's this really big gap um, in employers providing the right context for social workers to access and grow through learning. So access and grow is their, is their words. Um, mm -hmm. So we come with our professional you know, hope of learning um, and then find that there's a, a context that doesn't allow that. Um, and what the toolkit is saying is that for employers and organizations to improve that context is a win-win because mm. you know if we're trying if we've got an organization with a sense of purpose and let's hope we do <laughs> then those that purpose needs stuff to have the right capabilities um and the right motivation um and so that idea of a learning organization is all about making growth in terms of personal growth human growth um and and professional growth you know part of the part of the culture so it is really important to advocate for that and and for organizations not just to attend to opportunities for learning but to attend to the things that motivate people to learn which is much broader than mm -hmm. is there an interesting opportunity it's you know if you think i think about it for myself the times when i've really enjoyed learning and grown through learning have been when i've been really motivated about that thing and that's partly about the thing itself, but a lot of it is really about what else is going on in my life and what's going on in my work life. Mm. If you go to the most fascinating session, but you're preoccupied with your work back in the office, you know, it doesn't work. So attending to the motivation as well as to the opportunity is, um, and people mm. are motivated by being able to act on their learning and see the impact of it. So the follow up is so crucial, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, I mean, this is this is stuff that we've talked about a lot, actually. Um, how we can, because learning, we haven't, we haven't, I haven't written about this, but now that you've kind of talked about it, it's really triggered this for me in my head. Is about how CPD can be used as a weapon 
Mm. Um, so that there can be an organisational um, context which identifies that there is a gap in performance in a certain area um, and the decision is made that the answer is training. Mm. And so then everyone has to go through this training and the outcome that they're aiming for is compliance which will equal improvement in the area where there was a gap. So they're missing some of the nuances that make learning so important and that actually like so that so there there's there's some gaps around is the actual lack of performance in that area really about lack of skill or knowledge or is it about lack of capacity or systems or other things so sometimes there's poor diagnosis a poor systemic diagnosis of the whole problem and then of course if there's a good systemic diagnosis of the whole problem then the answer will always have to be more than training because training or learning is a small part of fixing a larger problem and as you say rightly there has to be space then in the organization for people to bring that learning back and there needs to be reasonable caseloads and there needs to be um, systems and for you know everything needs to be adjusted to allow that that kind of knowledge to flower um, but people need to be able to come to the learning without feeling blamed or without feeling like they're being told how to do something right. And so there are many different ways in which an organisation can set up learning to fail before people even get through the door, just by weaponising it, by not placing it in a system, by making it mandatory and, and really emphasising compliance rather than exploration and curiosity. Um, and, and all of those things come together to just make the whole experience of learning feel like something you do when you're wrong. Yeah, you not know, about which, growth, but about... Not about growth, but about, but about correction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we fix the broken social workers, then the system will function properly. Um, and, you know, and I've stood in front of many people who have felt like that, who have come feeling that that's the experience they're about to have. And being able to find ways to let that come into the room and explore it without making it too dominant and then finding ways to understand what people would like to take away from a session and trying to meet both the organisational aims and the individual aims is a real skill set. Yeah, we've both completely rewritten sessions, haven't we? Yeah. Like on the fly as it's yeah. gone along. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, you realise that, that, that somewhere in the whole um, commissioning process, things just haven't quite worked or in the communication process, things haven't worked. And so in the room you have people who who are just genuinely not able to learn um and the other thing for me is just um yeah this this kind of idea well, we taught you how to do that so now you do it you know like it's the context is so important and I, and that's why I love I love the Baswell working conditions toolkit because I love the fact it places everything in a context and it acknowledges that we are one part of that context and so 
so learning for people can feel like a, a compliance exercise when actually it's just a privilege and a joy. That's that's what the growth exercise. Yeah, <laughs> it's just such a wonderful thing. I mean, oh my goodness. And so I guess for us then, because because what we've got to do is acknowledge we're in a context and then think, okay what's within my gift, what's within my power to influence? So how do we make it possible to keep learning? Um, and I think, you know, there's that, so that personal motivation. And then how do we hook into the peer support, make sure we're having lots of different type of learning? And how do we communicate well with our organisation about the type of learning we need and um, the type of learning other people need? And I think, too, for me, one more thing is that we understand part of social work is offering knowledge to others. I mean, we should be always looking for opportunities to transfer knowledge, transfer power, transfer skills. Mm -hmm. um, so in a way, we're looking for continuous learning opportunities for the people we work with, understanding their context and their resources. So... I, I, I like to surround myself with learning opportunities, you know, books, magazines, podcasts, more than you can possibly attend, but kind of pick one each month and allocate a little bit of time to get lost in it. I just, um, there's so much out there that I just have a mind pop. Um, <laughs> and I've decided now, I do give myself permission once a month to pick a topic and wander about, think about it, talk about it kind of go and look at different allied professionals and do all sorts of, you know, things and not fret too much. Because I used to um, get worried that I was distracting myself, you know, stop, stay focused. And now I just have one. It's like a, oh, it's like eating a good chocolate biscuit, you know. You I was going to say, it's like there. going for a walk where you don't know exactly which route you're going to, you're just like yeah, wandering. Yeah, yeah. I love well, the eating a biscuit is also. I go to food and you go to exercise. <laughs> If you guys haven't worked it out by now, we are quite different in our approaches, but we harmonise. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think developing that growth mindset is is important to a flourishing career because then you don't feel stuck or in a rut or like you're just trying the same things over and over. So thinking outside the box and trying things that maybe even don't quite sit in that social work toolkit can be good you know research tells us oh, this is the other thing I love is that of course the more pathways we make into our old age um, by continuing to learn new skills the better brain health we'll have um, so just like you know when we have our primary school kids and our middle school children and we let them try a whole range of activities see what they like yeah have violin lessons yeah go horse riding sure do knitting you know we let them do all these different things we need to do that our whole life. You know, a friend of mine, her mum took up the ukulele in her 80s. Fantastic. You know, so, yeah, try a range of activities and knowledge and go to a professional development course that's specifically for an area you wouldn't normally go to or with mm -hmm. a allied professionals that you wouldn't normally sit and listen to and see what they have to offer. It can be fantastic. Use your peers well. I am amazed at how much knowledge there is when you just peel the lid back. People know so much. And stop using our team meetings all the time to 
kind of rehearse all the issues that aren't within our control and start using them to explore knowledge and reading and learning and actually, you know, encourage people to bring along articles or ideas or topics, even just every six weeks. You know, actively reward people for having a learning mindset and really share it like so it becomes a culture within your team, you know. Have a cake and do a podcast. I mean, how easy is it to do a podcast nowadays, Jerry? You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Guys out there, get your team together, do a podcast, we'll put it up. You know, use the spaces that you already have under control, such as team rooms or team meetings, supervision, to kind of promote that continual learning. So make sure you're talking, oh, you know, I've seen there's this or there's that there's that article or app or whatever. Really, you know, for anybody out there who's a manager, do not send people to CPD and then call them, please. You know, don't miss CPD yourself. Really ask people to come back and tell you thoughtfully what they've learned and how they're using it. Be curious about knowledge all the time. You know, apply that learning to conversations. Don't talk generally about a case. Really kind of create that environment. You know, do a mix of learning and supervision individually or in groups, multi-agency learning. Watch, listen, do some modelling Arrange to shadow someone whose skills and talents you'd like you can learn from. I'm amazed. In fact, I've got to say, I have never had an experience of asking somebody if they will let me learn something from them and had them say no. People are happy to be generous with their knowledge. If you know, so there's lots of people out there, you know, try and be involved in some different professional panels or boards or initiatives being a practice educator, there's all sorts of different ways out there that you can grab learning a little bit or a lot. Um, yeah. it, it's about finding a way to create a culture in your team and the environment where where it's um, privileged and prioritised and valued. Yeah, and I think that part of the thing we have to overcome is that there's a very sort of traditional fixed view of what learning looks like. Um, in it's sort of Eurocentric view it's actually quite a Anglo-centric view as well in some ways um, that learning is formal learning and exams and hierarchies and marks mm. and perfect mm. knowledge and this person's better at this than this person all that kind of stuff um, she doesn't translate that well into social work if at all you know, because social work is kind of all of humanity so mm. <laughs> there is no fixed um, route and even the qualification that we hold you know, is it's very much about um, taking learning that you can then reapply and that you can grow. There mm. is no kind of you're a social worker, that's it sort of thing. You, mm. um, It's much more like thinking about our learning as a C, a really wide C, where you have all that breadth, but also all the depth um, that lies beneath it that you can go exploring. And so dipping into different things and really getting a sense of, mm. of all the all the things that are out there um, and and using you know, finding the knowledge and the skills and the values and the learning that you need for the place that you happen to be for the day that it happens to be for the weather for the storm for the direction that you're going for what it is you're trying to to achieve um, and the international federation of social workers 
um, definition of social work says that social work is underpinned by theories of social work, social sciences, humanities and indigenous knowledges. It's not a prescribed course. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, that's the question, really. Where, where are we looking um, mm. for our understanding and development? And, and also we're developing all the time. So some of it is about realising that you're developing, um, realising that you've you've learnt um, or that you've got the opportunity to learn. Something's happened that means that you, you can turn that into learning. Um, and always thinking about you know, how that impacts on the people that we're working with. Yeah, that's lovely. And I love that analogy of the sea, Jerry. And it um, takes me back to a conversation I was having with my son. Uh, we were looking at brief solution focused therapy together because he's studying it at the moment. And um, I'm kind of developing a little course with him. And I was talking about how we've got to be careful with our questioning um, and how that we're, we don't implant answers and we don't do that kind of we shouldn't do leading questions or and, and he said, yeah, but mum, we're doing guided questions, he said, because if you think about it, it's like we're there, uh, you know, the person we're with is like in a in a bit of a stream and, you know, there's all sorts of ways a stream can go. It can go into, you know, little lakes or it can go into dead ends pools or it can go into an estuary. But we want it to go down into the ocean because the ocean's full of hope, mum. That's where all the opportunities and the answers are, the endless possibilities of the ocean. We don't want them to get stuck in a lake where there's only fixed answers or go to a place where they feel like there's no answers. And I thought that was a lovely visual. And I was thinking of that when you were talking, yeah. thinking, yeah, you know, the ocean is full. The wide sea is full of possibilities and opportunities to learn can come from unpredictable places. Yeah. Um, and that's a, just a lovely idea. But of course, for me being a gardener, you know, I think of us as beautiful trees. You know, we're planted in our profession and we flourish. So we do need the right environment. And that's the organisational, professional and political structures that surround us. We're also we're using our roots and leaves to seek nourishment. And learning is nourishment. It feeds us and it helps us thrive. And so we really want to find places that offer us good soil and water. And we really want to, you know, kind of contribute because that's the other thing, of course, a tree loses its leaves, breaks up the soil, makes space for new growth. That's new learning we've contributed to things like the change project, you know, getting involved with a change project and bringing your knowledge from practice back into theory is incredibly empowering and powerful. And it's a gift that you leave other people. And I know, you know, I'm reading this, I think it's a bit corny and, you know, I might be a bit new age in my old age, but there's really good science behind the fact that acquiring a growth mindset that's all about change and adaption and development of new skills and ideas right up to death really helps us have a more satisfied, healthy and happy life. You know, and we, we work in a profession which takes up a lot of our emotions as well as our physical time. And so for me, that kind of continuous professional development helps us grow well. It can, it's a gift to ourselves. It contributes to meaning and richness in our um, daily life. Mm. 